Uh, hi, I'm Kevin. Uh, and if you um, haven't met me before, I'd love to meet you after. Um, I'll be down here. I'd love to meet you. I'm one of the leaders here. As Chris said, I get the privilege of, a few times a year just to get to come up here and, and teach from God's Word and talk with you. Uh, this morning, um, it, it, I wanna, this, is, this is befitting the weather, right? The cold weather, the, uh, the clouds, the rain. But I want you to think back. Um, I want you to think back in a time, well, when you felt lonely. Like, oh boy, he's a little ray of sunshine, isn't he? So I want you to, but I want you to do that. I want you to, I want you to think back, maybe several times, try to focus in on one. One time when you really felt, you felt lonely, you felt um, disconnected, you you felt. Uh, you, you didn't. You, you didn't fit in. Uh, and, and, and I want you. I want you to just kind of picture yourself there. I'm, I'm doing that too. Um, where were you? What season of life were you in? Think about the surroundings. What was around you at that point? Was were you young? Or was it last week? Or both? Uh, were there certain people around? Was it at school? Or was it at home? Was it in this city? Was it in another city? Or what were you doing during this time? To, I hate to bring back this memory, but there's a reason for this. Now, you probably have a picture or two in your mind. What cured that loneliness? What kind of chased it away? Uh, or maybe what at least kind of numbed the pain? Was there anything that, that did that? Maybe nothing. Or maybe there was something that sort of deferred the loneliness for a later time. Now, the reason I'm asking you to think about this is because I am almost 100% positive that every single person in this room had a picture in their mind. And that there wasn't a single one of you who could say, that's not me. Didn't happen. Never been lonely. See, whether you're a Christian here this morning or not, this is a pressing question. Why am I lonely? Or as my parents used to say when I was a kid, they used the word lonesome a lot. You feel lonesome? I said that the other day uh, at school, I'm a teacher, and said that one of my students, they were like, lonesome, what's that? So that's when you're lonely. I thought everyone knew that word. It's a pressing one. Why are you lonely? Or why were you lonely? How did you get to that point? I mean, you may not feel that way now, but you have felt that way. And... 
You will feel that way again. There will be a time when you will feel disconnected. You'll feel lonely. You won't feel like you fit in. You'll feel isolated. Uh, Sean, can you go ahead and, and put that picture up for me? Oh, yeah. There it is. That's right. Feast your eyes. That was my ride. That's right. That's me driving, by the way. Not really. I'm more like tennis, you know. But that was my car. In my little scene that I had in my mind. Beautiful car. 1981 Oldsmobile Tornado. Smooth as silk. Velour seats or fuzzies of some kind. <laughs> Fuzzy seats. Had electric seats. You know, you could, the seats could go up, they could go down, they could go back, they could go forward. You know, everything was electric, little switches everywhere. See, in the 80s, it got real excited about things being electric. Then they really went away. There's a moonroof. Or I don't know if it's a moonroof or a sunroof. I guess it depends on what time of day. But that it was equipped. And I took advantage of that. I love driving down the road and one of my goofy friends, you know, would always think it was original and fun to poke out the sunroof and wave at everybody and make faces. You know. Look at the doors on them. This is the 80s, so they weren't really worried about weight. That thing probably weighed 2,500 pounds. And the, and the doors were part of the reason that weighed that much. I mean, you could really do some damage to somebody with those doors. Because it stretched, it really should be a four-door, but they had that, the, the long door to stretch over two. It's like they took two doors, welded them together, and stuck them on some really strong hinges. But that was my ride. It had spring and shop. I had some speakers like, you know, rigged up in the back. Because that's what single guys always do. They always get a car and then they do stuff to it. They never leave it alone, you know? Oh, you tint the, I'm going to tint the windows myself, you know, to squeegee out there. I screwed on the speakers on the back dash, you know, so that I could be louder. They already had speakers, but I wanted it to have more speakers so I could listen to my, my music. My tunes as I'm driving around. So there it was. And in my scene, I do remember very, very vividly uh, in this uh, Oldsmobile, sitting in front of a, what was called in Lubbock, Texas, where I'm from, a playa lake, which was basically a fancy word for a drainage ditch. And they had them all over town, and they built parks around them. You need drainage in Lubbock, Texas, because it, barely, it never rains much, but when it does, there's no place for it to go. So it floods. And, and so they, they built these. They dug, they, they dug holes in the ground, basically. And, and, and then they brought in dirt. I don't know where they got this dirt. It, it, it was sort of a clay mixture with some it's kind of gray. It looked like moon dust. It was all over the place. And, and there would be this, these uh, ponds of, of water that really didn't have any circulation, you know, it's, it wasn't pretty, but, but it was all we had in Lubbock. That was, that, that was a lake to us. Let's go to the lake. So one night, I remember 
sitting in my car, um, staring at this playa lake. And, and the moon was out, I remember, and it was kind of reflecting. And I actually thought it was beautiful. Now, I hadn't been uh, to, to a real lake yet, or a river, or the ocean at that point, not yet. But to me, that was beautiful. And I had a sense, well, that I was alone. Uh, and, and I remember having the, the, the moon roof open and, 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 and the smell of the air. I mean, Texas, uh, West Texas air smells different than it does here because it, it's air from far away. Okay? It hasn't been trapped in you know, by the walls of mountains and hills. And so it's, it's coming down and flowing for hundreds of miles and, and, flowing right, and, and blowing right through uh, the cap rock where Lubbock is located. And, and so it smells different. It, uh, and it blows warm. And, and, I, and, and there are cotton fields all around, so there's a little hint of dust in the, in the air, but it's not a bad smell unless it's a dust storm. And, and, it, and, and so I can, I can still remember that. Our memories are really attached to smells. And, um, and I remember feeling so alone. I was disconnected at that point uh, from some relationships that I had had uh, that were close. I had been close with my brother, and we were starting to drift. And, and I had some friends, sort of, you know. I mean, I, they were the best friends I had. And, and our relationships were, I mean, our friendships were kind of uh, tearing apart a little bit. Uh, well, we wanted different things now. I wanted to stay out of jail. Uh, I had a friend that wasn't real concerned about that. Um, I, I, I wanted to uh, go to school. I wanted to get a job. I, and I, I failed out of school. So I was disconnected from that too. And I was just, you know, I told you before, I was a sandwich artist at that time and, and uh, at Subway. So. I graduated from the training. He actually said that on the show. That was what I was doing. And, and then I had this other uh, friend that, that well, I was disconnected with. We just weren't friends anymore. And I was feeling really alone. And, and, and then there was, a, there was a girl I liked. And, and this was before my wife and I met. And, and it, that didn't work out. And, 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 then, and then my... my my mom and dad, uh, the relationship we have, I mean, it was growing up, you know, and the goal of parents is to get their kids out, you know? That's, that's what we want to do with our kids. We want to raise them right, and then we want them out in the world. That's what we do as parents. And, and so they were kind of wanting that, and I was sort of lingering, kind of hanging around a little more than they were wanting. And I was sensing that. I was feeling very, very, very alone. I was disconnected from my church growing up. Uh, and I had another friend invited me to church, but I didn't feel like it fit in, in, into there because they were all in college and, and I wasn't. I was a sandwich artist and, and they wore khakis and I didn't. And this was a long time ago. People actually, it was like, you know, the gap, you know, khaki stuff. My age is showing big time. Okay. I didn't feel like I fit in there. And I, and I was probably listening to some of my music 
because I would always, uh, I would always run to music for the cure. I was probably actually listening to the cure, which is ironic. And I remember crying out to God at that point. Praise God. I thank Him so much. His grace is so good that I even had the wherewithal to do that, to cry out to Him. And it wasn't very eloquent, but I do. I did call. It was a call. It was a cry. And I told Him, I'm lonely. I, I don't fit in. I am disconnected from everything. I, I feel like I'm floating out in this universe. I've got my feet are on nothing. I, I've got nothing to grab onto. I, I have no one to look at, no one to talk to. Nothing. Even though I was surrounded with people every day, I, I, I cried out to God. So the question is, where does that come from? That's what, that's what we need to, we need to learn where that comes from. By the time we leave here this morning, we need to know where that comes from. Where does loneliness come from? Now, I'm not just talking about that moment. I'm talking about your moment, too. Where did it come from? Where did it start? How did you get to that point? How did that happen? I believe that that answer is, is, is in the Bible. I believe that the Word of God tells us where it comes from. We're going to look in Genesis first. You can put that up for me, Sean. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and get it out. Um, and look in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, verse 1. We're going to let the Word of God, by the Spirit, speak to us this morning the truth. Where does loneliness come from? Let's read this. Now the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Okay, we're going to stop there, and we're going to go back. So uh, have Genesis ready. We'll, we'll be in a different place in Genesis, but keep this here for just a moment. Uh, what we need to do, though, is we need to move past sort of the flannel board. Okay, so let's do that. Let's move past the flannel board. Those of you who don't know what a flannel board is, uh, lucky you. Okay, You're, that's a good thing. Okay, uh, actually, they're kind of cool. But when I was a kid, that's how they taught. They put 
the little figure and it would stick to the flannel board and then it would walk across again. So you would get the story, but it was always very happy looking. Adam and Eve, they weren't really naked. I mean, it's for kids, you know. And they're in the garden. And you, so you get this picture. This is like storybook kid time. Okay, but that's not what's happening here. I really want you to now, now shift your mind. I want you to imagine yourself uh, having a conversation with someone who's really smart. And, it's, and you're, you're arguing with each other, not, not mean and, and, and ugly, but you are arguing points. You're making cases with each other. Some of you may maybe have taken speech or debate in, in, in college or in high school. And so imagine yourself in more of a situation like that, where you're having a conversation. You're having to back up the things that you, the, the points you make with evidence, and they're having to do this. Your opponent's having to do the same. That's actually what's happening here, because the serpent the Bible said, was the, was the most crafty of, the, of, of all the beasts in the field. Okay, so it's crafty, smart, really smart. And this is what, this is the case that the serpent makes to the woman. You are alone in this world. You and your hubby. You guys are, you're alone. See, God, he's talking about that. God has something you need. He's not giving it to you. He's holding back. There is a disconnect between you and God, your creator. Yeah, he's nice. He walks with you in the pool of the day. Oh, yeah, that's me at all. But he's holding something back from you. He doesn't want you to have what he has. He doesn't want you to have what's good for you. What would be good for you would be, would be for you to be like him. He's hoarding his wisdom and knowledge from you. You need it. You would like to have it. He won't give it to you. And he starts out the argument with a complete lie. Did God really say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? This is brilliant. Without even using the word lie, he calls God a liar. Because it's clear God did not say that. God's words were not that at all. And she addresses it. But he starts the conversation with that. See, God's not good to you. You need to take matters into your own hands. You and Adam need to kind of think about what's good for you, you guys. And here you are in this world. You're going to need some, some knowledge. God knows some stuff you don't. You're left out. Left out in the cold. With your... Cheese in the wind. I don't know if they heard that in See, God's glory alone is not enough to satisfy you, Adam and Eve. Just being in his presence and, 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 and sensing his greatness and, and his glory is not going to be enough for you. You need some of that glory for yourself. You need to be like God. And without saying it, the devil actually is saying, you need to be God. Because he's telling them, he's offering them all of the attributes of a 
God. Wisdom. All wisdom. At once. Not wisdom as God sees fit to give it to you through an eternity spending time with Him. No. All of it now. And God should share some of that with you now. He should share His glory with you. You deserve it. That's what's so brilliant about his argument. Something else that's really brilliant about the devil's argument is that Adam and Eve already had God's glory. Now, they're not God. God is God. But they had some of God's glory. You see, they were made in his image. The devil says that's not enough. To reflect his glory, you need to be God. You need to be God. So the serpent drives a wedge between God and man and the woman. He wants to alienate them from God in their minds. He's the first recorded slanderer. That's the first recorded slander. And it sort of guides in an innocent sort of gossip if there's such a thing as innocent. Because he claimed they don't have the love and the affection of God. He's not good. And he is not really glorious enough. And they can't simply be satisfied with that. See, that was the first Adam. So now that you see that you... You may be lonely, or that you've been lonely, and you've kind of located that in your mind. Now realize this. You are not alone. You're not alone in your loneliness. That's, what, that's another thing the devil always tells you is, you're the only one that feels this way. It's just you. You're completely alone. Everyone else has what they need. You don't. But that's a lie. And I can prove it. You're not alone in this disconnectedness. You're not alone in your loneliness. You're in pretty good company. Let's read Genesis one twenty six. Let's read this. Okay. Now, the way that we need to understand this, uh, in order to understand this, we have to understand what it means to be made in God's image. Because that is one of the main points that the devil attacks, is their identity as image bearers. Saying, you're not like God. You need to be, you need this. Look at Genesis 1. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. That is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit communicating with each other about creating mankind. That's what's happening here. 
See, God is not alone. He is not lonesome. He's not solitary. He's not disconnected. He is in community, in family, with himself, perfectly. Look at Genesis 2, 2.18. I know that these, I went through Genesis in a, a little bit uh, different order uh, than what's chronological, at least in the, in the passage. But, but it's important that we think about it this way. So if we, oh, we have the blank screen again. Huh? That's all right. Huh? All right, Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Okay, good. We've all read that. We know. That is record of the first marriage. That is God saying, Let's, it's not good that man is alone. And that's referring to mankind being in his image as well. As the first marriage. Now, it's true. In the immediate context, that's, yes, in the immediate context, we're talking about God creating the first man and wife. Okay? That's true. But we need to look at the larger context as well. In that larger context, God is going back and he's underscoring the, the way that he makes mankind. Because we're still in Genesis. We're still talking about the account of creating mankind. And he mentions that it's not good for the man that the man should be alone. He reminds us, oh yeah, and by the way, I am making mankind in my image, man and woman in my image. And since it's not good for the man to be alone because they're made in my image and I'm not alone, I'm going to make a helper for the man. So when God says, it's not good for the man to be alone. He is mentioning that yes, it's not good for Adam to be alone. He needs a wife. Okay, that's what he, that, that part is true. But he's also bringing attention again back to the fact that he, God, who's three persons, is making mankind like him, not alone. Not solitary. God did not make us to be alone. God created us for community. Not loneliness. He did not create you to be solitary. He didn't create you to be disconnected. He created you for family. For community. For connection. For deep connection. So when we're disconnected from others, it's painful. It doesn't feel right. It feels wrong. Because we weren't designed for that. We weren't designed to be that way. We're functioning out of our, outside of our design at that point. So when we're disconnected from other people, we don't experience, we really don't experience God's glory. 
in a sense, we, we, we miss an important part of God's glory because He's not alone. His presence is not solitary. And we look inside ourselves for the answer. We don't see His glory there either. When we look inward, I'm just going to look inward until I find it. Or find myself. Of course, if you find yourself, you're still by yourself. We don't see His glory there either. Because He is not by Himself. That's why we can't image God by ourselves. Now that might sound wrong. So let's just stop here for a second. You can't image God by yourself. Not completely. Yeah, you can do some things. I mean, there are some other parts, facets of God's uh, image that we bear alone. You know, the ability to sort of have creativity that, that God gave us and the, um, the ability to uh, organize the, you know, order out chaos and the, the, uh, the ability to speak uh, life into a situation, speak the word of God and then see, I mean, the language, uh, you know, all of the things that make, that make us in the image of God are there, but we can't. We can't completely or fully image God all by ourselves because God is not by himself. So we can't image him with a solitary life because we were created for him and we were also created for others. And that is how, that's how we image him. That's how we do it. Look, it's one of the ways. And it's an important way. It's an important way. But we're different from God. Newsflash. Yeah, that's an obvious thing. We're, we're different from God. We're very, very different. We're made in God's image. We, we retain His image. We haven't lost that. We bear His image, but we're different. In Romans 3.23, I don't know if it's up there. Um, can you see Sean for this? Hmm? Oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'm going to read it. Romans 3.23, it's just a short little passage. It just says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this makes us different from Him. I love a song that we do here, uh, The Valley Between. Uh, and, 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 and I think the lyrics are something like, um, you and I are nothing alike. Uh, it's, and, and it's sort of like speaking to God. You and I are nothing alike. You know, uh, you are holy. I am unholy. You, you are creator. I am created. And in that, in that sense, that, that is true. That is very, very true. We are, we are very unlike God. We are not like Him. We are different. And the Bible makes that clear that every single one of us falls into that category. Because we are not without sin. We're riddled with sin. We're not holy. That we're being made holy. But we're not. And that's because we're descended from the first Adam. We're descended from Adam and Eve. Mankind. The first Adam. 
the Bible calls Adam. And we're born with it. We're conceived with it. We didn't even learn it at a young age. We came out that way. So are you depressed yet? <laughs> I'm starting to depress myself here. If so, if this sort of depresses you, if this kind of intensifies your loneliness, maybe you're lonely here today. Maybe you came in this morning masking your loneliness with a smile or your sense of being disconnected with conversation. Maybe you tried to push it down, push it back. Why well, don't you bring it back up again? If this is making you uh, see a problem, if this is making you a little depressed, then good. Because I have some really, really good news. I actually don't have it myself. God has this good news for you. There is someone who's done something about it. There is someone, not who can do something about it, there's someone who has done something about it. Not just about loneliness in general, your loneliness, yours. What you were thinking about this morning, there's someone who's done something about it. How excited I would have been that night in the car when I was sitting in the tornado and listening to the cure. And how elated I would have been had I known, had I really, really known, really thought about the fact that someone had done something about that. I was crying out to God that I do remember leaving that night, pulling away with a sense that I was still alone. That no one had done anything about it. So the cure, though, was not the cure. It was not music. Uh, your cure is not a whole list of things. It's not no books, it's not school, it's not, uh, it's not Facebook, it isn't, um, you know, activities. Uh, it's, not, uh, it's not even your, your gatherings as communities. That, that isn't the cure, okay? You, we need to make that clear. Our calms are not the cure for loneliness. It isn't even people that cure it. The cure is the second Adam. The second Adam. And some of you are familiar with that terminology. The Bible refers to a first Adam. And then the Bible refers to a second Adam. And the second Adam, his name is Jesus. That's, that's his name. He's God himself. He's done something about this. God himself. The Son of the Trinity. The Son of God. And He's been where you are. He's felt what you have felt. If that night I had remembered, oh, Jesus. He knows what I'm feeling here. He knows what it is to be disconnected. How I would have felt a, a, a sense of well, connectedness with him. But I didn't, I didn't think about that. I didn't realize that. 
It wasn't really in me in a mature way at that point. I, I, I wish that it had been. Because he was tempted like we are. And he was tempted like Adam and Eve was. Adam and Eve were. He was tempted. Can we go to Matthew 4? Let's go. If you have your Bible, let's go ahead and actually look at that. If you can get that out. There are some scriptures that it's not totally necessary to go to, but, but this is really good. And I want to go to Matthew 4, uh, verse 2 through 4. Because I, I, I don't want to just say, yeah, he was tempted as we are, and then move on. It's really tough to grasp that and understand that. But we have proof here, because Matthew, this, this part of Matthew is kind of like a second Genesis, in a way, in this way. It, it describes Jesus being tempted. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil says, to Jesus, God is not your father. The devil's at it again. And he is good. God's not your father. That's why he said, if you are the son of God. If. How many times do you, do, do you, you may not have people saying to you, if you belong to God. If he's your father. If he's good. You may not have people saying that. You might. But do you say that? In your, to yourself, in your heart? Does your heart rise up within you and say, yeah, if God's good, then? I think it happens. You say, God's not your father. You're not his son. But we know he was because in Matthew, just before this, if you go back and read, you'll find that he has just come out of the water and been told by the Spirit of God that he was God's son. And that God was pleased with him and loved him. And then he was sent out into the desert. So he knew that God was his father. The devil still said it. If. Because the devil knows the power of a lie. And the power of slander coming up. Having a little conversation on the side. Not blatantly lying, but still lying. And he was telling you, you know, God's not really good to you. Your father's not really good to you. He's not going to sustain you. You're hungry, aren't you? you? You could die out here. Why don't you make these stones into bread? Feed yourself. God's not going to take care of you. You need to take matters into your own hands. You need to look elsewhere other than a good God for what you need. Not just to feed your body, but feed your identity. Know then, I am a son of God. Look, I made this, I proved it. And that gives you glory. 
Prove yourself to the Son of God. But Jesus resists. He resists because he's the second Adam and he does it right. He does it right. He says, no, I don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from my Father's mouth. That's my bread. That's what sustains me. And my God is good. And he's given me everything I need for this life. He's given me everything I need for godliness, the Bible tells us. And he feeds himself with the words from his Father's mouth. With his presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and with his promises, with God's promises to him. So it's kind of like Jesus went back to the garden, isn't it? It's kind of what this wilderness thing is about. It's like the second Genesis. The second Adam goes back to the garden and does it the right way. Why? Because we can't. We couldn't do it. Israel proved that. Israel, at one point in history, was called the Son of God. The Son of God needs to go out and, and worship me. And while they were in the desert, they still grumbled and said, We're hungry. You brought us out here to starve. They couldn't do it right. We can't do it right. Jesus did it right. Let's look at Matthew 4, 8. Okay, it's just a little bit further down in the same section. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these will be yours. Uh, all these I will give you. <laughs> if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall not worship the Lord your God. I mean, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him, of course, because God is good. But in the second Genesis with the second Adam, when he goes back to the garden, the devil says, God's glory is something you need. He tells Jesus this. Now, now, stick with me, because this may sound weird, because it's like, yeah, it's Jesus. He, of course. Yeah, but think about this. The devil's tempting him with what? Glory. With what? Possible worship. Because if he gives him all the kingdoms of the world, then he's going to have the glory. And people will say, he's glorious. Look. And he was tempting him with this. How can you tempt Jesus with that when he's Jesus? Already worthy of worship, Right? That's because Jesus, being, even though in Philippians 2 it said, who, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God, I think he grasped. Jesus refused to grab out for the same glory that his father had. Of course, he is God. But he is Jesus, the son, deferring back to his father in a beautiful show of submission and worship. So Jesus reminds the devil that there's only God to be worshipped, so he's not going to worship Satan. He's not going to worship the devil. The devil says, well, just worship me. Then I'll give you this. Which is a weird lie, because it, I mean, 
The Bible says that every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The kingdoms of the world belong to him anyway. The Bible says that everything is the Lord's, and everything in it, and everyone in it. And the devil's a really, really good liar. So he has this brilliant twist on the truth. Jesus being already worthy of worship still didn't consider equality something that he had to have in that moment. Yet he was equal. So think about the loneliness that you have felt. Think about how, I think about how I cried out that night in the car. And, and listen, I felt it. Okay? It's kind of like the pain you feel is intense. I know that some of you are going, that's nothing. I had this happen. And I don't mean in any way to sort of make light or, or, or elevate my sort of loneliness that I felt. It, you may have felt something way, way more intense than that. You may have been through something that's indescribable. I don't know. I just know that we all feel it. And when we feel it, it feels intense. But it can't hold a candle to what the Son of God went through. It can't, you can't, it doesn't hold a candle. I don't care what it is. It's not greater than what Jesus felt and what he experienced. I want you to think about what he experienced. I mean, first of all, his best friends, uh, uh, some of them abandoned him and, and they denied him. And he, and he was carried off with a sense of loneliness on his way to the cross. And then, not only that, but, but people were crucified outside the city, not in the city. Already a sense of disconnectedness out. Outside the city gates up on a hill. And then lift it up off the ground. You're not even on the ground now. You're completely disconnected from earth. And there he was feeling the physical pain, but not only that, feeling the disconnectedness from his father. And the very best relationship you've ever had or ever will have is not as close as that relationship Jesus has with his father. We don't, our fallen experience is not that, okay? Now there will be a day when we will see him face to face, yes. But right now, the Bible says we see through a glass dimly. We don't understand the closeness there. And then he cried out to God. Because he's a man. He's a man. And he said, why have you forsaken me? And he quotes Psalm 22. And, and in doing that, kind of in a way says, hey, David, you felt lonely. That's nothing. Look at me. God is turning his face away from sin because of sin. God's presence cannot be there. And that's how it is with us. Without, without sin, God's presence 
And his glory becomes dangerous to us. It becomes very, very dangerous. We need a mediator. We cannot enter God's presence. We are not holy. We are different. And so God, uh, so Jesus experiences that for us. That, that wrath against sin. That when, when God, the Father, pulls and turns his head away from the Son, and Jesus experiences the full weight of that. We haven't felt that. Now, if you're here this morning, you may not be a Christian, and you may be going, well, I feel disconnected, I feel lonely. And why is that? Well, you are. And this is why. I'm explaining. This is why. It all happened in Genesis. It happened in the garden. This is why you are the way you are. This is, this is why you feel alone. But now, the second Adam has done it right. He believed God. He believed the promises of God. He believed that his father is good to him. He believed that his father was glorious and worthy of all worship. And so through him, we can now say, now we can say, Because what? Because Jesus is now saying, he's counting. I think life is counted to us. His life of, of, of believing his father, trusting his father, and, and is now counted to me. So I can now, I can wake up in the morning and I can say, ah, I have everything I need today. Everything for life I have. Because God is good to me. He has given me everything. Community, I've got it. Family, I've got it. Provision, it's mine. Joy, I have it. His presence, I have that. I have it in Christ. It's mine. And I can turn and say, God is good. Regardless of my situation. I can say, God is glorious. Because that moment at the cross is the most glorious moment in history. It is the moment where Jesus was glorified. His glory shone the most. Even though it was veiled in death and ugliness, it is the most glorious moment. And now he goes to heaven ahead of us. So now we look forward to following him there. Where he sits at the right hand of the Father. Completely glorified and not veiled, by the way, in heaven. But shown to be who he really is. His brilliance will not be hidden by anything. Ah, uh, but... We're still different, though. 
I was all this time. I realized I was different. I was lonely. I was disconnected. Now I realize in Christ I'm now connected. I am connected to uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm connected to other people in a family of God. Praise God! But now I'm different again. How? Because I live in this world. Because oh. this isn't how the world lives. You may have noticed. This is, this is different. Very different from our culture and from the world. So now you're really different. You're like an alien. If you are a Christian here this morning and you believe these things, you are different. You are an alien in this world, the Bible says. You are an exile. You are a sojourner. People love to put that one on there. LinkedIn, Twitter. I'm a teacher, passive sojourner. You're passing through this life. You don't belong here. You're in the world, but you're not of it. So we're alienated from the culture now. Now we find ourselves different. Oh. We're back to lonely again. And really, the more that, that, that we see uh, culture going, our culture, especially in the West, going the way it's going in America and in Europe, we're seeing that increasingly the church is taking its original, historic place on the margins, in the margins of culture. Not in the center, where I guess for, you know, it, 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 there were some short stints, at least relatively in all of history, short sense of being in the center of culture, sort of Christendom, where, where uh, the government and, 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 and everything sort of centers around the church, but that is not the way it's going, not at all. It's going in, a, in, a, in, in the other direction. But that's okay, we're in good company, because that's how the church started, in the margins, on the edge of culture, and that is where we are finding ourselves more and more and more. That's actually a pretty cool place to be. So how are we supposed to live in like that? What do we do? Here is legacy. I mean, we're, we're a church of communities that seek to share lives with each other and with others. And if you're new here and a visitor this morning, we invite you in with us. How do we do that? Well, let's look at Jeremiah. There are two more scriptures that, and I think, if you, you know, it's two. One's in First Peter, one's in Jeremiah. If you can't go there, I'm going to have them here. But I do want you to pay attention to this. I'm not just whizzing through this. Jeremiah 29, verse 4 through 7. <clears throat> Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And so he starts out, it's kind of like a, he's writing a letter. And he's telling who it's to. It's the exiles. People who have been expelled. Okay? And they're in a really bad place. Babylon was not a fun place to live. Build houses and live in them. Well, that's not rocket science, is it? <laughs> okay? Plant gardens and eat their produce. Jeff, that'll make you happy for Jeff. He's a gardener. Take wives and have the son, have sons and daughters. Again, not rocket science. 
Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. Normal stuff. That they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on his behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. Okay, now that's pretty cool. Yeah, the covenant in the Old Testament. He's talking to Israel. That doesn't apply to me. That's different. We're not supposed to do that now. We're supposed to uh, withdraw. We're supposed to isolate. We're supposed to go away. I'd like you to look at First Peter. We're supposed to hide in our, in our uh, churches, in our services, in our homes, and and kind of look inward to to ourselves for and and then just wait someday till we're whisked up into to the air to be with Jesus. First Peter, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Okay, that's how we're different. Okay, so we're not going to be doing some stuff people around us are doing. Okay? A lot of stuff. It says, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Okay? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. There's a little, there, there is a, not just a little, but there's a blatant assumption that we are among the Gentiles. I mean, and, and that just means they were among people who were not like themselves. They weren't Jews, they weren't Christians, okay? They were the people they lived among. They were in the culture. And it's funny because First Peter is, is the way it's written. It's like a letter to a church. But it sounds a whole lot like the letter Jeremiah. Uh, in the letter of Jeremiah. Because it, it, it speaks of them as exiles. And they would have known that. They would have caught that. They would have caught on to that. Okay? It wouldn't have been a, a new thing. It would have been language they understand. Yeah, we are exiles. Yeah, we are different. How do we live now in this world? Because look at us. We believe in Jesus and that he raised from the dead. And when you speak to God, you can't see. We're weird. How are we going to live here? We don't get drunk. We don't engage in orgies. We don't do that. We're weird. He said, yeah, well, here's what you do. Live your life in a way that glorifies God. But live it among the Gentiles. Be among them. So as we see, as we saw earlier, we, we realize now that uh, that imaging God means that we're in community. Okay? Imaging God means we're in community. So it occurs in community. And and that it's more than just we don't just image God just so that we can kind of be like him and say, wow, that's so cool. I'm like God, so are you. We image God. That's neat. Okay, let's watch TV. That's not what it's for. No, no. God, God's purpose is always to make himself known in the earth. To make himself known in all the earth. And, and, that's, and so if that's his purpose, his mission, then his strategy, if God needs a strategy, is the church. That's us. We are to make his name known. How? 
by sharing our lives together and with people around us. That's how. And that is the opposite of loneliness. That is the opposite of disconnectedness. That is really good news. It's not just good news to us, because, yeah, we get the blessing. The blessing of being brothers and sisters with each other for all eternity. But that's good news for the world. So when we are a community in and among the world, then we're good news. We bring good news to them. And so when we, when we speak the good news, when we commend the gospel with our mouths, when we proclaim it, it makes more sense. Because they see it happening right there in front of them. So, comms. I mentioned comms earlier, our communities. What do we do? Well, we need to find ways for our lives to overlap the lives of others. First of all, we need to find ways for our lives to overlap each other. We need to find ways. Maybe it's just we eat together sometimes. Maybe we do some of the same fun activities. We look at our schedules. It takes a little planning. And we see where they overlap. And then we... We uh, capitalize on it. We use that. And we do it on purpose and intentionally. And it comes. We find, our, we find ways to overlap with not just each other, but with our neighbors. And Jesus you know, showed us clearly in Scripture that our neighbors, well, anyone, anyone around us in the city, People you work with, people you go to school with, people you live by, people that you see often in any venue, in any way, those are your neighbors. So, find ways that your life can overlap their lives. And I'm talking about unsaved, lost, custom-drinking people. I, mean, I, know, I know some people like that. And listen, it's... You may be one right here. <laughs> you may be a custom drinking Welcome if you are here this morning and you're a custom drinking person. It may just be someone who's disconnected from church. A hundred million people in the United States are disconnected from church. It means they're not connected. They might, some of them, profess a uh, faith in, in Christ. Not, not, not all of them, but some of them. But they're not connected. It may just be someone like that. Find ways to overlap your life with theirs. And you, as a very different individual, will find it easy to identify with people who are very different from you. Because you're weird. So it's going to be a lot easier for you to get along with weird people. People who are not like you. Because community, in this sense, Community in Christ is different from community out in the world. Out in the world, it's all about who's like you, who likes the things you like, who agrees with you, who doesn't agree with you. Then that's your community, right? But that's not how it is. See, a community in the church is often spending time with people who are very different from you. Doing things that maybe you wasn't your idea. Maybe even 
stadium time with people uh, you don't even like that much. Everybody's Come on, let's be real. You don't like everybody that you meet. But community, real family and community, isn't about that. It transcends that. We have in common our faith in Christ, the presence of God, our lives together, our mission to the city. And then those things that we don't like, those little things, they become inconsequential. They just kind of fall out to the side. But I'm an introvert, Kevin. Reach out to people. Because I'm, I, I know how you feel. I feel you. Yeah, you don't need to fear man because God is glorious. Can we go ahead and get the, let's get our little chart up there. We've been showing this every week and we're going to have cards made of this. It's the four G's. And it's just a really good way to kind of get this language in our minds so that we become more fluent. Um, so the ones that we're focusing on today are God is good and God is glorious. Okay, so introverts, you who would rather be alone than with people, you who are scared to death, to, I'm, I'm the same way. Uh, reach out to people because you don't need to fear man. See, God is good. I need not fear man. Let's well, easy to say, Kevin, hard to do. Yeah, no. Uh, fear him. Okay, because he is glorious. Okay, don't, don't fear. He's glorious, so you don't need to fear of someone's reaction. You fear God. Reverence him. Think about his reaction. And he's good. You have his love and affection. You don't even need the person's love and What if they don't like me? So what? God likes you. So now you're free to love them. He's good to you. He gives you everything you need for life and for godliness. You have his affection, you have his love, you have his kindness, you have everything you need from him. Now reach out. You're not going to find God within yourself, and you're not going to find him in your great introspection. And that's not where you will find him. You may find some good truths there. But you're going to miss his glory. Extroverts. Oh, you thought I was going to talk to you. Make deeper connections. Sometimes you guys are a real extrovert. Uh, you know, you, you're real good at, at connecting at the first level with people. You know lots and lots of people. That's your gift. It's a fantastic thing. Use it. But don't hide in it. Don't use it to fill you up. Because God's already filled you up. You don't really need people to do that now. Well, I just got to be around people. No, you don't. No, you don't. God's already given you what you need. He's been good to you. So now you don't need people to affirm you, make you feel good. You don't always have to be at a party. You might be spending time with one person. Maybe it's a shy person. Maybe it's an introvert. Don't be afraid to delve into people's weird problems. But it could hurt me. It could bother me. It could, ew. Yeah, but don't worry about that. Don't fear that. God is great. He's in control. He'll take care of you. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, and you really are isolated and alienated from Christ, then call to Him. Cry out to Him. 
Reach out to Him. He will hear you. He will draw you in with His kindness. A kindness that leads people to repentance. To turn from other gods to Him. So we have one who did it perfectly for us. And now we get the joy of being God's people. Never, ever to experience true loneliness or disconnectedness ever again. Ever again. Ever. And that's really good news. I'm going to pray. And I guess the worship team will come out. Father, uh, thank you for being, thank you for being good to us. Thank you for being, for being all these things. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for being so great, mighty, in charge, in power. Thank you for being glorious. Because now we're free. We don't have to perform. We don't have to be in control. We don't have to look anywhere else but you. We don't have to fear anything. And that is the best news ever. Thank you for that. We praise you for that. Amen.